0: Hello, you. Yeah. Boy, I tell you, it's hard to do this. You just get better looking every day. Mm. Suave, debonair, better looking than any of those guys. It's one of my best friends right here. We just hang out. We do our thing. Looking good. We get together, it's like double trouble. We look too good. People just can't handle it. But man, it's not, not easy looking good. You know, I should probably put this. Oh, hold on a second. Oh, look at that. Hey, hey what's going on? Well, you, yeah, I was just talking to one of my favorite people and then you called, <laughs> interrupted. <laughs> but that's all right. I'm, I'm sure this is important. The trophy. Well, yeah, I got the trophy because I won. Because <laughs> I am the winner. That's why I got the trophy. Because I'm the best there is that ever was. I'm bringing it on home and I have won. I've got my trophy. I've got my good looks. Oh, speaking of trophy and good looks, that Joker owes me money. Hey, I'll call you back. I got business to attend to. Seth! Seth! Where's my money? You lost, I won. Give me my money. 20, 40, 200,000. <laughs> yeah. think I'm kidding. Right there, $200,000. It just gets better. 750000 You owe me interest. Seriously, we'll deal with this later because I love my money. You know, the only thing I love more than myself is my money. Mainly because the people they put on money, they're almost as handsome as me. See, that's the thing about Idols. We'll make them out of just about anything. Hey, do, do me a favor. Sit, turn this off because it'll end up ringing or something. And then I'll really be embarrassed because the gig's over. But <laughs> we do. We, we can make God out of anything. Ourselves. Our accomplishments. Our ill-gotten gains. It's what we do. It's easy to do. But you know, God said to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2 through 4, He spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We talked about that last week. And I told you there's some similarities between you shall have no other gods and what we're going to talk about this week. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath. Or in the water, under the earth, heaven above, earth beneath, or even in the water. That pretty much covers anything you could pick to make an idol out of, doesn't it? And God says no. And we talked last week what it means to have no other gods before our God. And this week we're going to look at idols. Idols are the physical representation of what you worship, whether it's yourself your accomplishments, your money. Some of you worship your iPhone. No, I don't. I can put it down anytime I want to. I just don't want to. (laughs) Idols are the physical representation of what you worship. Webster has a few definitions for the word idol. And, And it's one of the things he says. One is a representation or symbol of an object of worship, broadly a false god with a little g. Thank you, Mr. Webster. He also goes on to say, a likeness of something, a pretender, imposter. I like that one. A form or appearance visible, but without substance. You see, and I, that is not me. (laughs) I just want to let you know that I heard it too. It wasn't my phone. (laughs) And an appearance, a form of appearance visible without substance, but without substance. Trophies are visible. What you see in the mirror is visible. Your money, visible. Your phone, visible. But more times than not, they're without substance. Our God is invisible, but full of substance. Another definition is an object of extreme devotion. A movie idol, or as we see on TV, an American idol. And the last one that Webster puts out, Quite simply, as a false conception, fallacy. Boy, those are those are top-notch. Let me explain it to you this way: God is spirit, and God is bigger and more powerful than any representation or any likeness of any other God. We should only be putting our faith in God. To put our faith in money, to put our faith in our ambitions, to put our faith in ourselves, to put our faith in the information we get from our cell phones. It's idol worship. Idol worship is worshiping or observing or serving anything in place of the one true God. Idolatry can also include the worship of God through an idol. You have to listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. Idolatry can include the worship of the true God through an idol, a statue or something created in what we assume is His likeness. You see, God doesn't necessarily forbid or condemn representations of people and animals. He even commanded in the Old Testament with a tabernacle and the temple that that ornamental artwork be used for these places, that that gold be used to make it beautiful. But when we worship something we can see, When we worship something we can touch, when we worship something that we control, we miss the power and the grandeur of God. Uh, Some examples, when we focus more on the objects in the building than the Lord we're coming to worship, we're in danger of idolatry. Uh, When we cling to the necklace or the bracelet that has the pendant made in the image of a saint rather than cling to the presence of God in our lives, that's idolatry. When we trust in our money, when we trust in our own provisions to see us through, Rather than God, it's idolatry. No matter what name you give your object of worship, it's idolatry. You don't believe me? Just ask the Israelites. Moses is on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments from God. And you know what Aaron's doing? He's down there with the people. The people get scared. It's been like 40 days. There's a big cloud around the mountain. God said, don't even go near the mountain. And so Moses is up there, and, and he's not coming back. It's like day 38, maybe, day 37. Day 37. And they're starting to get concerned. So they go to Aaron. They're like, hey, we need to worship something. Give us a God. Create something for us. Aaron's like, no, no, I can't do that. Moses is up talking to God. But he goes, but. It's always a but. And the but always gets you in trouble. He goes, but if you give me your earrings from your wives and your sons and your slaves, we'll see what happens. And they did. They they rip them out and they're giving them all the gold that they have. And Aaron fashions a calf, a molten calf. And they set it up. And listen to what it says here in verse 4. Um, I'm sorry, yeah. He says he took... There, there it is. He took this from their hand. that's their earrings and stuff. And fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the calf. He built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and he said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now some of you may think, well, what's the big deal? They're still worshiping the Lord. And just because they're calling their little calf the Lord doesn't make that little golden calf the Lord. So the next day they rose early. They offered burnt sacrifice offerings and brought peace sacrifice or peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now, meanwhile, Moses is on the mountain with the Lord. And the Lord says to Moses, you need to go down and check on your people. You can look that up. It's in there. He actually, God says to Moses, your people. He doesn't say my people. He goes, your people are are getting a little off base. (laughs) Moses is like, surely not, Lord. I'm up here getting these Ten Commandments from you. He's like, trust me, Moses, go down. Moses goes down, and we pick up in verse 19. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing And Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf which they had made, and he burned it with fire. Listen, Picture this in your head. He burns it with fire. He grinds it into powder, scatters it over the surface of the water, and he made all the sons of Israel drink it. You want this God so bad? Drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you? that you have brought such great sin upon them. Aaron, oh, Aaron. He says, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself. (laughs) They're prone to evil. I love this next verse. It's a sad verse, actually. But it reminds me, at this point, I see Aaron not as full-grown mouthpiece with Moses Aaron, but I see him as like little toddler Aaron, right? He, He says, They said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. (laughs) Can't you just say like like grown Aaron just shrinks down like to little Aaron. I just put it in. Here's a calf. So we thought we should worship it. We called it Lord. No, drink it. Even the Israelites, they had just recently been freed from the Egyptians who who had all these gods I talked about last week, who had these different idols they prayed to, and then they saw that it didn't please God. They'd just been freed from that. They made this idol, they called it Lord, and they worshipped it, and they ate before it, but it wasn't the Lord. And we sit here today and we think, oh, those poor Israelites, will they ever get it right? And we should be thinking about ourselves. Oh, those poor Christians. Will they ever get this idolatry thing under control? Hey, do you guys remember Gideon? You know, you know Gideon, the son of Joash. You know him, right? He, he defeated the Midianites with only 300 men and trumpets and torches. Did you know there was more to that battle? We always stop there. We always stop with, with they blew the horns and they broke the pots and they waved their flashlights, or they were, actually they were torches. They raised them around and they made all this noise and the Midianites all killed each other. And the, and the ones that didn't die fled. Well, when you continue with the rest of the story, Gideon and his men of 300, they go after these guys, specifically the kings and the princes. And, and so they're chasing these guys down. And, and it, it's neat to me because not only do they continue chasing them and killing the enemy of the Lord... But Gideon here goes from hiding in a wine press, sifting wheat, to, to being the mighty warrior that God, of God that he was identified as when, when they found him, when the angel came to him. And then in Judges chapter 8, this same person, he starts off, he's hiding. An angel of the Lord comes in and says, Mighty warrior, you're going to gather men and you're going to fight for the Lord. I've seen the oppression of my people. Midian is going to be rousted, if you will. He does all this great stuff. And then in chapter 8, Gideon forgets who he is and he forgets who he serves. We pick, we pick this up at chapter 8, verse 21. Gideon kills these two men. Their names are Zebah and Zalmona. And, and they said to him, actually, he told his son to rise up and kill them, but his son was still a youth and he was afraid to do it. And so these men say to Gideon, rise up yourself and fall on us. For as the man so is his strength. So Gideon arose and killed Zebah and Zalmunna and took the crescent ornaments which were on their camels' necks. That was his first mistake, taking the gold from the camels' necks. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, also your son's son, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And at this point, I'm like, yeah, good job, Gideon. Keep him on track. Way to go, buddy. The Lord will rule over you. And then he says, but I would request of you that each of you give me an earring from his spoil. No, not the earrings. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we will surely give them. So they spread out a garment and every one of them threw an earring on the garment from his spoil. The Bible says the weight of the gold earrings that that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. Besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple robes which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the neck bands that were on their camel's necks. By the way, earlier in Gideon, uh, Scripture refers to the camels of the Midianites as being, you you were unable to count them. So it wasn't just like there was a couple camels, right? So it's like, couldn't, couldn't number the camels. There were so many camels. Gideon made it into an ephod and placed it in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there so that it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Gideon, are you kidding me? Even after God took him with this huge army, with these testings down to 300 men, he saw the fleece, he saw it wet, he saw it dry. He told the men, if you're scared, go home, 20,000 leave. He said, hey, let's get a drink. If you drank a certain way, another 10,000 go home. Gideon and 300 men do this amazing thing to free the Israelites from the Midianites. And then he still creates an idol. Why is it that we can be in the face of a miracle and still be in the danger of idolatry? What is wrong with us? One minute we're thanking God for a physical healing or delivering us through a season, and the next minute we're like Gideon making an ephod and playing the harlot before God. You see, the thing about idols that we can learn from Gideon is that they can become a snare, not just to you, but your whole household. Parents, your children will suffer for the idols you worship. The objects that you allow in your house that separate you from God whatever that object is, it will become a snare for your household. Proof is in the pudding right there. Gideon made an ephod and placed it in his city and it became a snare not only to Gideon but to his whole household. C.S. Lewis said this, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing, as if nothing had yet been done for you. See, that's the thing, we, we get like Gideon, we get through, and we do this mighty thing, and we start to think, well, look at me, look what I did. And we forget who delivered us. Jesus had this to say about idolatry in Matthew 6, chapter, uh, verse 19 and 21. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. And where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Don't answer that out loud, but think about it. Where's your treasure? Is it your cell phone? Is it your money? Is it your trophies? Is it your rugged good looks? Your suave and debonair lifestyle? What is it that you desire more than a relationship with the Lord? What's your idol or idols, if I may be so bold? Jeremiah 51 says this concerning Babylon, starting in verse 15. He says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding. He stretched out the heavens when he utters his voice. There is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and He causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. All mankind is stupid, devoid of knowledge. And here's why. Every goldsmith is put to shame by His idols. For His molten images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery, In the time of their punishment, they will perish. And you know, with stories like Gideon, warnings like this from Jeremiah, and even the religious leaders in Jesus' day who knew the teachings of Jeremiah, who knew the events of Moses' life, who knew the history of the Israelites far too well, they were still guilty of making the temple their idol. Because they forgot what Jacob had said to them in Genesis chapter 38 and 36 or 20, sorry, in Genesis chapter 28, and then again in Genesis chapter 35. I'm going to summarize this for you. You see, Jacob went on some travels, he got in some trouble and he went away, and he comes back to present himself before his brother, and one night he wrestles with the Lord, he walks away with a, hit, with a limp. Here's what he says: He's out in the middle of nowhere. Picture this. He's in the middle of nowhere. And he said, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the days of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. And in Genesis 28, you can read this on your own. Jacob said this. He said, the Lord is in this place. But he realizes something. Jacob realizes that he himself has journeyed full circle. And in that journey, he realizes that God wasn't just in that one place. As he talks about this journey, he says, you know what? God was with me in this place, and God was with me in this place, and in that place, and in that place. It dawns on him. God has been with me everywhere I've gone. The presence of God is not a place. It's not a thing. It's not an idol for us. It is the person of Jesus Christ. It's portable. The presence of God. He's with you wherever you go. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. God with us. And here Jacob says, yes, I see it now. I've gone to all these places. I've done all these things. And in coming back with humility, I see because my eyes are opened. I've been through some things. I've fought some battles. And Jacob says, and God was with me. He was with me in the middle of my misery. He was with me in the middle of my sin against my family. He was with me in the middle of all these things. Folks, what happens when God shows up in the middle of nowhere? What happens when God shows up in the middle of my trouble? Or in the middle of your trouble? The Bible says we don't need idols because our God is a very present help in times of trouble. We don't need idols because when God shows up in the middle of nowhere, He is a very present help in times of trouble. In the middle of my hurt, He is a very present help in times of trouble. In the middle of doctor reports, in the middle of failed marriages, in the middle of surgeries, in the middle of relational corruption, in the middle of a world that's turning everywhere but to God, He is still a very present help in times of trouble. And when God shows up in the middle of nowhere, you open your eyes to see that He is here now and He always will be. He is an ever present, ever faithful God. You don't need to make for yourself an idol. Not now, not ever. You don't need mirrors. You don't need trophies. You don't need any of that stuff. You don't need money. I don't even know where it went. You don't need money. Our God is a very present help. Not just in times of trouble. In times of peace. He's ever faithful. And he's here now. He knows the season of life that you are in right now. And He's here with you during your hurt. He's here with you during your confusion when you're trying to figure out what's going to come next. He's here with you even during your failure. And He's here with you during your victories. The time has come that we stop turning to our idols for comfort and strength and deliverance and turn to our God for these things. He delivered Noah through the flood. He delivered the Israelites through the desert to the promised land. He delivered Gideon and his 300 men. The very best part, in my opinion, is that our God chose to deliver you and me from our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. That that one act is enough. He did all these other great things that we can read about in Scripture. If all he did was send his son, that one act is enough. Our God loved us enough that even while we were still sinning, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that we might have forgiveness and that we might have eternal life. And that was God's part. My part is telling you about it this morning. No matter what you're involved in, no matter where you're at, there's peace, there's hope, there's Jesus Christ. Your part is how you'll respond to God's word. Are you ready to lay down your idol there, Gideon? You ready to move on without it? It's time to pick up the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to lay down your own strength and pick up the strength of God in your life? Because that's the time that it is. If you're ready to do those things as we come to our response time today, first off, go ahead and stand and sing with us as we respond to God's word. But if you're ready to make that change, if you're ready to leave something behind, you're ready to depend on god for whatever happens next in whatever season of life you're headed to our elders are here they'd love to pray with you if you'd like to make jesus christ the lord of your life through baptism for the gift of the holy spirit receive forgiveness for your sins we're ready to do that as well will you sing this song with us and respond accordingly